Welcome back to Me and the Geek. I'm me, Joel Sharpton. You can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life. And each week, I bring you a different conversation with a different geek for a peek into their geeky world. This week, we're going to be talking about the Disney Corporation, uh, not only the business itself, but specifically their CEO, Bob Iger, who came before him. Uh, that's Michael Eisner. And then who might follow him up? And that's the question we're going to try to answer in today's episode. Uh, to join me in this week's conversation, I had a great uh, Disney uh, expert in the form of Dan Cohen. You can find him online. He blogs regularly at beefydisney.blogspot.com. You can also listen to him in his own podcast, Annie and Danny's Fast Pass podcast. So without further ado, let's get these fingers crossed paprika burgers. Big day today. Jamie gets his exam results. I hope he's done okay. He's worked so hard. So I'm making my paprika burgers for when he gets home. They were lucky last time. I add red onion and paprika to the mince. Then I top with jalapenos. Well? Make your own burgers with our Tesco finest Aberdeen Angus beef. Food Love Stories. Brought to you by Tesco. Right to the talk. This is me and the geek. Dan Cohen, this week's Geek, we're here to talk all about Disney, and specifically, we're going to be talking about the, the Disney CEO and, and who might be next in line for the big chair. Uh, Dan, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Man, I, I'm, I'm so excited that you took the time to talk to us. I am a, a huge Disney nut, and amongst my friends, maybe the biggest Disney nut, and then I get to you, Dan, and you blow me right off the charts. <laughs> uh, and, and it's funny you say that because... I think that in the Disney fan community, I'm probably still on the low end in terms of cred. See, this is like I, I had um, a couple episodes ago, I had Macy Jones on to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. And I told her the reason I chose her is because she seems like such a normal person when you meet her. So uh, that's that's what we like. We like geeks that, that look normal when they're out in public, Dan. Yes, you would not. Re- well, actually, today I'm wearing my Darth Vader t-shirt. So you might give me a side eye, but... We're going to talk to you more in the future. We're going to talk specifically about the parks, and, and we're going to talk about some of uh, your favorite Disney movies and, and lots sure. of ideas that I got to talk to you about. But this episode specifically uh, came up because of all of the hubbub surrounding um, Iger's announced resignation or, or, or in, incoming resignation eventually as CEO of Disney. And his tenure has been, to me, from the outside looking in, very even keel. I mean, it's been nothing but an upward trajectory. Disney has been returned to the forefront of the of the media world, and uh, you know the numbers are up all the way around. And to me, it looks like well, this has got to be roses, and everybody must be terrified now that he's on his way out. I I contact you to talk about this, and you're like, oh yeah, I have a totally different opinion of Iger than most <laughs> in the Disney world. So first of all, let's let's flash back even pre Iger, and you give me your opinion. Uh, and you and I were young, of course, for his reign. But what about the guy that had the cheer before, Michael Eisner, uh, the Disney of our youth? Yeah, so Michael Eisner came into power in like the mid-80s mid at pretty much the lowest possible point for the Disney company. Artistically, it was doing very poorly. Um, they hadn't made a successful animated feature in years. And pretty much they brought him in. He had been an executive at ABC 
which was owned by Disney. And they brought him in kind of to right the ship. He's a money guy, but he's also a TV guy. And he had a whole philosophy. There's a great book, um, if you ever want to reference it. It's called Disney War. It's long and kind of dry, but it really goes into the, the politics of why they chose Eisner. And his whole philosophy is very much a, to use a sports analogy, he's a singles and doubles guy. You know, his whole philosophy was, let's get some just some successes under our belt. They, they can be modest successes, but let's just make things positive and keep things moving in a positive direction. And, and I think that, you know, he did that. He was hugely involved in the resurgence of the early 90s. He helped expand the parks. The whole boom of all the resorts at the parks were pretty much under his watch, although <laughs> some would debate how successful he was at that ultimately and sticking to the Disney ideal. But yeah, I think that a lot of our peers view him as sort of the guy that saved the company and brought it back. You know, the, he is the Disney of our youth. Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, those are all under him, Lion King. Although I personally ascribe more credit to Jeffrey Katzenberg for those, um, who was the president of Disney Pictures at the time. And he ended up going off and doing DreamWorks <laughs> with Spielberg and David Geffen. Well, and if, if you look at the early successes that he had once he left Disney and how Disney animation especially floundered after his exit, I think there is a lot to be laid at his feet as far as the credit for that period of success. Yes, and I, I think that I probably assign more to him than a lot of the, the Disney f fans. Um, you know, Eisner should get the credit that he gets. He saved the company basically they were when he took over their their animation studio was a couple of guys in a rented office off of the main studio lot and by the time little mermaid came back out they were the you know kind of the big dogs again in a way but you know i, I think that he also has like a streak of egomania in him he kind of you and i when we were talking about this beforehand you you said it and it's exactly right he sort of viewed himself as the spiritual descendant of Walt. Um, and that didn't really help him much, especially when Walt's family was still pretty predominantly placed within the company. Roy, Roy E. Disney was the chairman at the time and they did not see eye to eye particularly. Roy was very much a proponent of, of Pixar, for example, and, and Eisner was kind of against the computer, computer animation thing because he felt that it was too expensive and those kinds of things just sort of bubbled up and eventually Eisner was pushed out by the, the board in 2004. And, and that brings us to our, our conquering hero, all in white, uh, the shining knight <laughs> coming in, uh, Bob Iger. I love this. this. You're the only person who would ever say that other than me, maybe. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. Like I, and, and it had been, it had been a while since I had followed Disney with a keen eye. And when it was obvious that they were going to lose Pixar and it, yep. and I think it's so easy for us to forget that now Disney has really spackled over this history, but those, it was a done deal. Pixar was out was the gone. door yeah. 
Yep. And and Disney was moving on with sequels to the projects that they owned. There was going to be a new Toy Story from, from Disney Animation specifically. There was going to be a new Monsters University or Monsters, Inc. eventually uh, 2, you know, or whatever you want to call it. There was going to be sequels to all of those projects because they owned the originals and they owned the rights to make sequels. But Pixar and the future of Pixar was walking away and they were going to get the mother load of all deals with some other studio, become one of the biggest players in their own right. And it was one man, really, that was responsible for mending those fences and putting the two teams back together. And, you know, he had to bridge some, you talk about egos uh, in the form of Eisner. One of the big, biggest egos in the world was was sort of responsible and in charge of this deal, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and he he was in charge for a while. He was the So Iger was sort of under Steve Jobs for a bit. And then once the whole merger happened, they, they really absorbed Pixar. So it's no longer, if you ever look at the original movies, the Pixar movies, Toy Story, uh, Bugs Life, Incredibles, it's all, it's all a Pixar film produced and distributed by Walt Disney. And now it's a Disney-Pixar kind of joint project. So Disney owns Pixar now. It's, they're the same thing. But you're right, there was that sort of middle territory where they were basically like, our deal is ending we're, you know, we're going to leave, we're going to get a bigger deal. And Iger really prevented that from happening. He came together with Steve Jobs and I want to say Andrew Stanton over at, or John Lasseter over at Pixar. And they kind of just came together and, and saved it. Um, Eisner burned a ton of bridges when it came to that kind of thing and, and just sort of was scorched earth. It's why Kastenberg left. It's, it's sort of why he I mean, basically what happened was, and I, I don't want to get into like the really nitty gritty, is that Roy Disney, um, Walt Disney's nephew, Roy O. Disney's son, basically said, hey, if you don't, it's either him or me, and you're going to really have a studio, a Disney studio without any Disney's involved kind of thing. And the the board essentially sided with Roy. And I think that was a big surprise to a lot of people in the entertainment industry, because Eisner really for so long had been the golden boy of that company. You know, you look at the Sunday night movies and he's showing up beforehand doing his little intros. And that was his whole, like I'm the, the creative successor to Walt Disney thing that he was kind of doing. He was just doing that same thing that Walt would used to do at the wonderful world of color and, and that stuff. But Iger is the opposite of that. Iger is a money guy. You know, he, he's got an MBA and not a creative guy. And ultimately, when I say that the Disney fan community as a whole doesn't like him, that's what it comes down to, is that he isn't the guy that's going to like stand up in front of the the fan base and talk about this amazing new project that they're working on or whatever. He can't really speak to any of that stuff. He's strictly a business person who has, I think, very smartly left the creative decision-making up to creative people. I think that's a very apt way of putting it, you know, uh, especially in the past few years with the rise of Marvel Studios, uh, you've had all of these websites that are combing the transcripts of, you know, shareholder calls. And so we're getting uh, a lot of comments from Iger on the on a regular basis. And you read these and you're like, well, I understand why the, you know, the boardroom is hot and sweaty for his description of the next couple of years of Disney, but it is awfully dry the way he describes the future of the Marvel universe or something, you know? Yeah, very, very much so. And, and, you know, you mentioned Marvel, but just looking at it from a success standpoint, and the reason I, I am going to be sad to see him go and, 
and you know I'll talk a little bit about his sort of likely successors. There's really only two, and really only one real likely one. You know, when he took over, the the stock price was at I think seventeen dollars a share, and the highest it had ever been in the history of the company was something like forty. Right now, it's at a hundred. So in I think he's he took over in two thousand and four or two thousand five. He basically has quintupled the stock price in 10 years, um, which if you're looking at it from the outside, if you're not somebody who is super invested in the creative intellectual property of the company, he could not have possibly done better. And I think that's the main thing that remember is that for what his task was, he's done great. He acquired Pixar. He acquired Marvel, acquired Lucasfilm. They're going to make billions and billions of dollars because of those things. Well, it's it's almost as if you're, you know, the CEO of of Dell Computers, and somebody allows you to just go out and buy the iPhone business, and then the iPad business, and then the Mac computer business. Right. I mean, it's it it as you said, it is a license to print money. All of all three of those licenses in particular, the Marvel deal, though, and the fact that they bought it sort of when it was already in progress, and you already had seen that Marvel Studios was going to be a success. But the um, the speed with which they were able to not only envelop them as a company, but begin to roll them out throughout the different branches of Disney and incorporate that aspect, that new aspect of their catalog. It made me feel really good since they had already eaten up the Muppets. Now, the Muppets is a much smaller um, you know, property than Star Wars or you know, the Avengers. But to know that these properties exist within – the the bosom of this company and that thus far at least the leadership gets it they get hey look we can shepherd these things we can earn off of them you know we can reap the benefits for generations and generations as long as we don't trample them you know i mean that seems to be Iger's reputation and i think his long-term legacy yeah i think that's exactly right and i'm a huge marvel fan i'm a huge star wars fan and I was a huge Disney fan my whole life before those things happened. So for me, it's like a kid on Christmas because I know that this company that I respect and I think will do the right thing with the the property is going to take care of it. I mean, anybody that saw the original Fantastic Four movies, I don't mean the original one from the like early 90s, but that was even really bad. But the, the what is it, Fox that distributed those in the early 2000s? Yes, yes. The one with They're uh, just so Ian bad. Grofeld or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the guy from Forever. Yeah. Um, and Chickless. Oh, God, the shield Chickless. is, is uh, the, the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, the whole it's just awful. And it, it was, you know, quickly put together the sequel with the Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer is one of my favorite characters ever. It was heartbreaking. And I just can't imagine them doing that with Disney in charge. You know, and I, there, there's the whole cred thing. So I think there's a lot of layers to the the unhappiness about, you know, Iger and the Marvel stuff. So many Marvel fans are upset because Disney has that very squeaky clean image and they don't want them to scrub the the grittiness from the Marvel universe, right? Yeah, don't don't turn Wolverine into a pillow. Exactly. And I but I just don't see that happening. I mean, there's well, first, I mean, we saw Days of Future Past. Is, wait, was that 
No, Days of, Days of Future Past That's is from, fo- is from 20th from Fox. Century Fox. But, yeah, yeah. You know, but the the broader point, though, sticks, uh, Dan, because you got to look at, like, you know, I mean, they used to own uh, the Weinstein Corporation. He has Miramax. A company, Miramax, exactly. Dis- Disney is a company that has long understood that there are levels of entertainment, that there are uh, areas for all of those um, avenues to be pursued. There's money to be made in all those avenues. And as long as you keep your branding separate and clear and make it understandable and easy for families to peruse, you know, from one to another, then I think they've never had a problem with, with having something of a little bit racier variety. If you were looking for Marvel pornography i guess you're probably not going to get it but you know well, no. you, you weren't going to get it before it, Just, i guess marvel, you have to call Zack snyder right yeah exactly Mar- look marvel has always been a family company as well and while yes you're right there was the max line or there was the knights line and there's been you know these darker uh closer to r-rated levels i think what you're going to see very very soon i think all of those fears are going to be put to bed by the daredevil series on netflix totally agree with that i think that's going to be great but even um, on a much broader level, look at Guardians of the Galaxy had that sort of, you know, sort of anti-hero swagger that I think that they were kind of worrying would be cleaned up. I mean, I personally felt love that movie. Um, and I, I think that it, from what I can tell in the message board community, really did assuage a lot of the concerns. But then you have the Lucas people who have the same concern, although anybody arguing that the last three Lucas movies were anything other than there's there's no, nowhere to go but up from that. And and I think that slowly but surely as these movies are unfurled and as the plan is is unraveled, the concerns will lessen and lessen. And I don't think Iger will get the credit that he deserves for that. So so we've still got a, a couple of years left. When do, Has he announced a date or is it just a time frame for his actual uh, exit? It's 2018. So he, he just had his contract renewed for three more years and it expires 2018. He'll be 63 or 64, so I think that he's just calling it retirement. Right. I don't, I don't think that he's being like pushed out. I think that, honestly, the shareholders would have him for as long as he wants, because I, I don't think that, and here's where it gets a little bit sticky, I don't think that the next people up are really that spectacular. I sort of have the same – I like both of – and I think you and I are going to say both of the same potential candidates. But So let's talk about who's going to fill the next chair. Uh, you sure. mentioned earlier the, the Pixar deal and the way that that was structured, it put one man in particular – a couple of different people got a big pile of cash like uh, now uh, Steve Jobs' widow and family – uh, are some of the largest uh, shareholders in Disney. But the man that I'm talking about is John Lasseter, becoming the head of Disney Animation altogether. And and then even since then, with the successes that he's had since he's put his fingers on everything, how much of a golden boy has he become for the company? How much of that is just on the creative side? And how interested is he in, in the position? I would say that he is the clear third choice for the stockholders and the clear number one choice for the fans, the creative part that all the fans really, really crave because, you know, ultimately that's, that's the thing that we see. That's what they, they want to latch onto. He's got unbelievable ideas. He's got a huge positive reputation within the industry. Everybody loves working with the guy. He can be difficult, but ultimately I think that and as far as fan service goes, he's the number one choice for sure. And I think that's kind of why I don't, I honestly don't think that he's very likely. 
the biggest thing, and, and I think the more, more importantly, I don't think that he's particularly interested in that job because it takes him too much out of the creative stuff that he wants to do. Yeah, you don't get to direct movies when you're the CEO of Disney. <laughs> no, and, and I think that even if he's not directing specifically, and that would be a huge loss for the company, him being in charge of something, I could see him being the, you know, the head of Walt Disney Pictures after um, Alan Horn goes. Mm-hmm. Um, although I really, really like Alan Horn. He, the, the guy that he replaced got kind of saddled with the John Carters and the, the, the Alice in Wonderland, which was a huge financial success, but kind of everyone hated it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Alan Horn is, uh, you know, doing well. I, I, I could see him taking over for Alan Horn. He's a little younger, I think, and is more liked. Alan Horn is sort of a, in a way, a, the wolf from Pulp Fiction, you know, where he was brought in is to fix this sort of thing. And he has this reputation of moving around, I think, and fixing issues and, and stabilizing certain elements of things. And then he's moves on to the next fix. So the, the two, I, the way I see it, the two main candidates and from a money shareholders perspective are Jay Rusula, who is the current CFO and Tom Staggs, who is the COO recently promoted beginning of February recently to COO and, uh, also the head of parks. Yeah, this is this is the guy that I think has the biggest chance of being a rebirth of the Michael Eisner and and Walt Disney. Hello, America! Welcome to you know yes. Sunday night at the movies, guy. He, the, the, he loves, loves to be the, in front of the camera. Yes, yeah. yes, that's what I was going to say. Exactly, <laughs> it's totally true. Um, I am not a huge fan personally. But I also see that he's done a really good job. He he was in charge of kind of riding the boat at Euro Disney and now Disneyland Paris. He's been with the company since 1990 and was brought in. He, he went to Stanford. He's a money guy. So he has that sort of financial background. But he's also worked with the creative portion enough at this point where I I feel like that's sort of the, the way the, the stockholders and the board will basically say, You've done enough of the both sides. You've been around long enough to know how this works. You love being in front of the camera. You know, Tom Staggs, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. And I think that that move to make him COO was the sort of unspoken nod to that. Do you think it's sort of like an an early uh, an early tip of the hat to make sure that nobody starts bailing water or nobody jumps overboard? Like, do you, do you, is this testing the waters to make sure that some of those other p- powerful people we mentioned, for instance, Rusulo and uh, Lasseter in particular, you don't want them to leave, regardless of who takes the chair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the number one thing that always seems to, and I'm, I'm no financial expert, but from what little I, I pay attention, you know, uncertainty is the thing that kills value. So when you have a really clear plan in place and everybody can see that the plans in place and you know that your jobs are safe. And I think Rusulo and Tom Staggs in particular get along very well. Um, they've, you know, they've kind of been up working together for quite a long time. Um, I don't think that hurts at all. I don't think it, I think it's certainly a going to be a, I don't think it's going to be too much of a blow to Lasseter if he doesn't get it. Um, but I think Rusulo at one point was certainly looked at as the favorite for it. Uh, maybe five years ago. 
And in that span of five years, Tom Staggs has really kind of taken a, a leap forward in terms of public view of visibility. And he took over the parks and now he's the COO. And I just think it's the most likely option. We've got uh, some cool articles in the links uh, or in the show notes, I should say. Uh, you can check out here from Variety. There's an article about um, the COO. And then from the LA Times, there's an article about Tom Staggs in particular, five things you need to know about him. Uh, Dan, if Iger, and I know he's got you on speed dial, if Iger calls you <laughs> up and asks you uh, how to settle this, who, who do you pick? You said you're not crazy in love with Staggs, but you also understand why he seems to be the favorite. Um, I think if you're going in-house, I, I think he's probably the right choice. I just don't, he's not an exciting choice. Maybe that. Maybe when I say I don't love it, it's because it's not exciting. It's probably the smart choice. I think Lassiter is the exciting choice, but I, like I said, I, don't, I really can't see him wanting it. He has so much freedom and flexibility and so much power anyway. He's a guy that can get anything done in Hollywood that he wants. He has a little bit of freedom to do his own thing. He doesn't have the number one public spotlight on him. But, you know, Staggs has been around for a long time. He has overseen a lot. I think it'll be very interesting to see how the, not to delve too much into the parks, but how the Pandora um, expansion of Animal Kingdom goes. That's opening in 2017, I believe. If that is successful, I think that that will pretty much be the the bolster that he needs from the public to really throw their support behind him also. It's a pretty unpopular or at least um, divisive thing right now, that expansion. How much does Disney have to be kicking themselves that they got in bed there instead of spending that time and energy and land on Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm actually, you know, I think I'm probably in the more pro than con camp of of the Pandora land or whatever they're going to call it. Uh, and this is for for people that don't know, this is based on the Avatar movies. Uh, and so it's a it's a co-production uh, with uh, James Cameron. Yeah. And it's not specifically. So there are three, two more Avatar movies coming out. And this is more about the world of Pandora rather than. The then the stories of, themselves, yes. Yeah, the unobtainium or whatever nonsense, which is why I have some optimism for it. I think that the art for it looks really amazing. Joe Rohde, who is the head of Imagineering, is a legend. And and I think that if that is successful, if that turns out well, then, then Stags will kind of have a clear path covered in rose petals because I think people are kind of negative about it right now. Everything, you know, the fans' biggest issue is everything takes too long. So... There's all this time for people to get negative about it, but I think if it goes well, no one can take more credit for it than Tom Staggs. And I'm not sure that it will matter. If it, does, if it doesn't go well, it probably doesn't matter. But if it does, he'll have that. He'll have had the Magic Band and My Magic Plus implementation, which was a huge, huge rollout over the last couple of years. Um, they spent a billion dollars on it. Those are the two things I think he kind of hangs his hat on and says, well, I saved Disneyland Paris. I've created Shanghai Disneyland. I've created Tokyo Disney Sea. You know, all these things that are sort of been helmed, at least in part, under my watch. Um, people can look at that and say, he's got enough creativity in him that it will be enough to not be John Lasseter. 
Uh, so there you go. I think that's a pretty good place to, to start wrapping it up for this week. And uh, it looks like we all agree it's going to be Tom Staggs, folks. Get used to it. Uh, he's going to ruin uh, your uh, childhoods <laughs> all over again. That's right. Uh, Greedo will shoot first and second now. That's right. And probably somewhere in between, too. <laughs> uh, Dan, tell everybody where they can find more from you online. You, you write and uh, you're podcasting all over the place. Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at Beefy Disney. I'm on Blogger at BeefyDisney.blogspot.com. And uh, come listen to my podcast. It is, um, I would say, for adults only because we do um, have some salty language on there. It is Annie and Danny's Fast Pass podcast. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Excellent, sir. Excellent. Dan Cohen, uh, resident Disney geek this week on Me and the Geek. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right, you too. Good stuff from Dan there. Dan Cohen, the uh, co-host of Annie and Danny's Fast Pass podcast and also the blogger at beefydisney.blogspot.com. Check him out online. Uh, and uh, we'll have him on again soon to talk specifically about the Disney parks. To call him an expert on Disney, I think, is an understatement. So we'll have him on again soon to talk more. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If not, don't worry. We got something totally different for you next week. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking to uh, a good buddy of mine and a mentor in a lot of ways, Mark D. Gwynn. He's the director of the School of Performing Arts at Louisiana Tech University. Uh, he's also a master in the Society of American Fight Directors, but he is maybe more than all of those things, one of the greatest lighting designers that I've ever met in person. He's got a great history in lighting design, and that's what we're going to talk to him specifically about next week. Uh, some of his uh, history on the road, the people that he toured with, and, and what lighting design can do, and what somebody that's really passionate about it can bring to the table for a performance or a set of performances that is next week on me and the geek pod.com. Don't forget to email us at me and the geek at team procreate.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for me and the geek and review us in iTunes or on Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts until next week. I'm Joel Sharpton. That's me. You can find me at the rogues life on Twitter. This week's geek was Dan Cohen talking about Disney CEOs and this has been the podcast. One, two, three, four. Woo! Me and the Geek is a proud member of the ProCast Network, a ProCreate production. ProCreate is a community of artists in film, music, the digital arts, and fine arts that helps them connect and collaborate on projects. You can find out more at teamprocreate.com. Also, be sure to check out one of our other great shows like Pod on Pod, a weekly review of a different podcast to help you find your new favorite show. Josh and Joel are your hosts as they walk through the wide world of podcasting from comedy to self-help. Josh and Joel listen to it all so you don't have to. These fingers crossed paprika burgers. Big day today. Jamie gets his exam results. I hope he's done okay. He's worked so hard. So I'm making my paprika burgers for when he gets home. They were lucky last time. I add red onion and paprika to the mince. Then I top with jalapenos. Well? Make your own burgers with our Tesco finest Aberdeen Angus beef. Food Love Stories. Brought to you by Tesco. Smoldering. Slinky. Seductive. Streamlined, spellbinding. Ever notice how some of the most alluring descriptions seem to begin with the letter S? So perhaps it's no coincidence that S-Line, Audi's most stylish trim, does too. Take the A7 Sportback S-Line. 
with its added standout, there's another one, details, it's pure Audi. Just even more sporty, stealthy, sleek, striking, swish, sublime, sultry, swoony. The supremely stylish Audi A7 Sportback S-Line. Test drive yours at an Audi centre near you, or search Audi S-Line. Audi, Vorsprung durch Technik. (laughs) 